Good evening, Plants and Pillars. How are you guys? I'm not a musician, so I struggle with the mic. Um, as Keegan mentioned, my name is Amir. I know I mainly spend time with the junior high boys, uh, but it's good to be up and preach with you guys and sometimes Davis. So uh, I know we've been going over this concept of love, and typically our church goes through um, what we call expository preaching, um, which is completely appropriate because it just means you go through scripture one verse at a time, um, take a book, go through line by line, can't cherry pick, um, and just take verses that promote your agenda, right? So, um, but in this season, we thought it would be quite appropriate to look at this concept of love. And I know Keegan touched on um, what is love, and then he got into tough love, uh, which is also a fun topic. Tonight, we're going to get into brotherly love and what that means. So if you guys will join me in a word of prayer, then we'll get going. Father God, we thank you for being who you are. We thank you that you give us the image um, and direction and purpose of all the things that we have to do. You don't um, leave us confused, God. You give us the spirit of peace. And Father God, we just ask that you're here, that you give us your wisdom, uh, that we may gain from your word, Lord, and, and be your light uh, throughout the world. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So flip with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Let me give you guys a minute to get there. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. And it reads, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Plants and Pillars, I have a question for you. Do you believe this? Do you actually believe that this is true? This is a big question. If you believe this, congratulations. You are probably saved. Praise God, we'll see you in heaven. If you don't believe this, this is what we're here for, to get this message out to you. But if we believe this, things must change. Now, let's look at another concept here. If, if you go back a few books to um, John 1.1, right? So all scriptures read out by God. Some might ask, well, who is God? Well, in John 1, 1, it reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Don't let anybody tell you the Bible doesn't say that Jesus is King. That is not biblical. The fact that people would say it's not true. It talks about this all over Scripture, that Christ is King, he is Lord. He is God. Um, the scripture does not leave a gray area here. So if we believe this, then we must believe what our king has to say. And he has plenty to say about how we love one another and what brotherly love looks like. So um, a question for you guys becomes, how has your life changed? But if you believe that this is true, has it changed your life? Are you a different person now than you were before? Um, are you viewing your brothers and sisters differently? Do you even realize you have brothers and sisters? And just to be clear, I'm not talking about your physical brothers and sisters like Mark and Luke or Troy and Ben. That's important too. We should love our siblings. That's a message for myself. Um, but these are for our believers, brothers and sisters, right? All of us in this room that call ourselves Christians. 
So if we believe uh, this word, uh, has it changed us? And then another question becomes, are you actually in the word? Do you know what it says? Do you know what God says about loving one another? Do you know that God tells us to love one another? These are all really important things, but if you're not in the word, how are we going to know this? Um, show of hands, do you guys know the concept of the one another's? Have you guys heard that? One another's? Awesome. Good. Uh, there's lots of verses. We're going to get into that in, a, in just a little bit. But first, I want to talk about how God views us, which took me back to the beginning, Genesis 1:27, And God wrote, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So I had no clue what parents meant by, I can only see you as a child forever, until I had a child. My mom would say this to me, my dad still says it to me. Dad, 41, not my eyes. So when Layla, when, when we were thinking about having a kid, in my mind, it always went to, I'm gonna be the father of sons. This is just where my mind went, I don't know why, but I always thought, I'm having boys. So finally, Leah's pregnant, and we have the gender reveal party. We got a cake, told them strawberries for a girl, blueberries for a boy. I'm totally expecting blueberries. I'm ready to play football and whatever, basketball. Um, we cut the cake, pull it out. As you all know, it was strawberries. My life changed. I instantly hated all boys, and I went about a bunch of kids. <laughs> it's a true story. <laughs> so... Um, all these things were going in my mind, right? I had this expectation of what things were supposed to be, and, and God kind of messed with that just a little bit. Well, when Layla was born, and I held her for the first time, all of that escaped me. None of the thoughts of wanting a boy or anything like that was a thing anymore. In that moment, I knew God gave me exactly what I needed, and I understood all those things in my parents. The way I look at my daughters now, is unlike the way I look at any other human being. And it also gave me a glimpse of how God sees us. I, I never had that understanding of when they say we're a child of God, what that meant, until I had my own child. And obviously, uh, my girls came from the Lord. So that love that I instantly had for my daughters, um, and will always have for my daughters, gave me an idea of what unconditional love will look like. Well, Scripture kind of tells us the same thing about how we view one another as brothers and sisters. The way that I love my child, my children, is really that same type of... Now, I know we can never love anything like we love our kids. I totally get that. But that concept of how we love um, this other human being, God absolutely wants us to be uh, maybe not quite that close, right? Because I can't be your parents. You can't be my children, and that's cool, but we are definitely brothers and sisters. And in and, 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 um, family, that is forever, right? That doesn't go away. You might be, Mark might be mad at Luke, but Luke's never not going to be his brother. Right? That's the that's fact. And I know these two love each other, so I can say that. But that's just how it goes, right? And family is forever. And, and take a look around, right? For all believers, we're in heaven forever. Whether you like the person next to you or not, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, they're with you forever. And this is a good thing. So we should absolutely love um, one another. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about this concept of one another. It shows up in scripture. So the Greek word is alelon. So it's one word. We broke it up into two. So even in the Greek, there's this concept of that one another being one. 
Um, in English, it's two. It shows up uh, around 100 times in Scripture. This con- is the uh, words one another. And uh, 94 of them will be in the New Testament. <clears throat> Only a few in the Old Testament. Um, Paul wrote, well, 47 times. 47 times Jesus talked about um, those to us fellow believers, right? So out of those verses, 47 of those, roughly half, are talking to each other. So clearly when God talks about one another's, he's not just saying, hey, whoever else. He's clearly talking about us and our, our fellow believers in Christ. Paul wrote 60% of those, and a third of those are commandments to love one another. So this is at the forefront of Christ's message to us and how we are to treat each other. It's a big deal um, to our Lord. There's several verses that back this up. I'll read a few of them to you really quickly. Um, there's there's uh, do not lie uh, do not lie to one another, seeking that you have put off the old self with its practices. That's Colossians three nine. If we love it, one another, would we be lying to one another? Probably not. Um, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's Ephesians four thirty two. Again. Being kind is clearly a sign. Being tender-hearted is a sign of love. We were talking about that at our call to arms. Pastor Charlie mentioned, "Are you tender to your wife?" And I thought, I never really thought about that. I don't think I'm tender to my wife. I love my wife. So I go home. I go, "Honey, am I, am I tender to you?" <laughs> she really had to think about it. She's like, "Not, not really. I really had to work on that." Right? Going through Scripture will reveal things to you. This is why it's so important to be in it. Um, then we get into loving one another. As Jesus has a command in John 15, 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. And this shows up in many places in 1 Peter and John and 1 Thessalonians. This concept of loving one another is all over Scripture. Um, and, and certainly God created us that way and, and, and the way that he displayed his love on the cross for us. Right? We can love only because he loved us first. The way that he displayed that for us um, is absolutely what we should um, be following, but there's something that we can't do, but that we tend to do, right? We shouldn't pick who and how, who we love, right? Uh, when it comes to brothers and sisters, I shouldn't look at somebody and say, oh, I kind of like you. I really love you. You're really cool. You do some things for me. I like you. That's not the concept that God wants to give us. In fact, in James 2 1, he writes to us and says to not show partiality or favoritism. God makes a big deal about that, of not being partial. Um, And over and over, Jesus tended to the least of these, that concept, even in in, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. That concept is there in Scripture. God absolutely cares about the lowest of the low. And what's funny is that when we were in, uh, so we lived in a town called Fremont in the Bay Area. Fremont is a pretty well-to-do town. People make pretty good money. Everybody's got a high-tech job. And what's interesting is, when you go higher on the hills, right, it's kind of the goal, they want a house on the hills and all that. The higher you go with that, the less of God you will find. Right? The lower that you go, that tends to be where people are more ministered to. They've got an ear for it. God displayed that in, in the New Testament with some of the parables and stories that he had. But it certainly translates over into um, real life. And, and a few times that God mentioned this was, well, the woman at the well, um, the blind and the lame that he healed and, and cared for and had mercy on. Uh, his disciples himself that he spent so much time with. His brothers uh, were, were going to become his brothers in arms. And he spent a lot of time with them. And who wanted to hang out with a tax collector back then or fishermen? Nobody. Tax collectors were actually some of the lowest of the low. Uh, and some would say that's still the case. <laughs> but... 
Um, God had this thing where he spent time and discipled and absolutely loved those that everybody else would sort of ignore. And he gave us an instruction to do that. But we as humans don't operate that way, right? By nature, by default, we go to people that kind of make us feel good. Whether it's social media, um, friends that we choose typically, you know, whether you're popular, they could do something for you or whatever. Um, down to the clothes we wear, right? The, in the 80s, yes, I was born in the 80s. Uh, there was this whole thing. <laughs> I won't call anybody else out. Um, there's this thing about look good, feel good. If you look good, you feel good. It's all about looking good and feeling good. And that came out, and coincidentally, they brought out credit cards around the same time, and debt started. So not really a great concept. But um, God makes it really clear in his scripture that as believers, we're together forever, and there's a certain way we're supposed to look at one another. We are called children of God. So if we're all children of the same God, that absolutely implies we are a family. And families don't leave each other. They don't ditch each other when times are tough. They don't run away from each other when one irritates the other. One of my favorite things that I see in my house right now, and it took a few years to get there, but one of my favorite things, and it's a sweet spot, I don't know how long it's gonna last, is watching how my girls absolutely love one another. Layla is 11, Isla's five and a half, almost six. And the way that they play together now, there is just this love, this bond that you, I, I can't describe it. Just when you see it as a parent, if you're a parent in this room, you get what I'm saying. It is beautiful to watch. We had dinner with the St. Michelle's uh, maybe a month ago or so, but a great time. Uh, wonderful family. And um, I knew, I know Mark and Luke pretty well. And, and judging by the content of their character and, and who their parents are, I know they love each other well. Well, after dinner, we're just sitting down and talking, and they just start wrestling. Out of nowhere. And it was not angry. It was not. There's no malice behind it. They just start wrestling. And I go, man, I totally remember when I used to do this. I kind of miss it. But they wrestled for, I don't know, 10, 5, 10 minutes, whatever it was. And then they were done. And they got up. And, and everything was fine, right? And, and my girls are, but, you know, that there's, when you can get physical with someone like that as brothers, right? There's obviously love there when you're not throwing punches or anything, which they clearly weren't. My girls don't quite get as physical, though Isla would love to. She's a little spitball. Uh, she's in Krav. She's going to be dangerous. I would look out. I'm not kidding. She's dropping. Um, but there is that love that they have that I can't, I can't put it into words. And I can tell it's of God. It is clearly of God. It is put in them by somebody other than us. And it's such a great picture of how believers should behave. Do they get irritated at each other? Absolutely. Do they yell and scream? Sometimes. Do they get grounded? For sure. But they always go back and they want to, we know that they love each other. We talk about this every few nights of what a great season this is of watching those two grow. Point number one is view each other as God does. View each other as God does. Which takes us into this other part of love that is not easy to do today. It's not preached, it's not talked about, and it's definitely conditional, but it's called forgiveness. You can't have love if you can't forgive. The author of love, Jesus Christ, showed us this by forgiving us for our sins, by going through the worst death you could imagine. And not just physical death. If you go through the crucifixion story, they rarely touch on the physical part of it. They, they almost gloss over it. But Christ talks about how he cries out that 
Father, why have you forsaken me? The, the, the spiritual, the emotional, the, the, that sinful side that we, we can't see. Um, that is what scripture talked about. Um, so there is this aspect of forgiveness that comes with our faith. And we're going to spend a little bit of time here. But I want to share a story. I want to share a story about when I experienced some forgiveness um, and the effects that it had at our, um, at our old church. Uh, I was one of the elders. They... they Brought me on as an elder um, after I'd been a believer for quite a while and um, was part of the group there as well. And there was a, a pastor that we had. He's uh, an associate pastor. We'll call him Pastor Tim. That's actually his name. And, um, and he was in a season of struggle. So we're at an elders meeting. And he's pouring out his heart to us as we're commanded to do. And, and we're, we're there. We're listening. And it was really gut-wrenching because he was going through some things that you don't want to see your brothers go through. Um, and so we, we heard him out, and, and when he was done pouring out his heart, um, we were kind of coming up with a plan of action of how do we help and come alongside Pastor Tim. And before we got to that part, I said, all right, everybody up. We're going to lay hands on him. We're going to pray. So, okay, great idea. So we go up, we lay our hands, and we pray for Pastor Tim. He asked for a couple months off, and we granted it to him, obviously. We want our brother to get healthy, and he got to spend time with his family. Uh, a couple weeks later, there was some church event, and he said, hey, I'll, I'll come to this church event, um, and then, then I'm going to go take the rest of my time off. I said, no problem. So he comes, and I go down to the, the room where everybody is, and, and I see his wife, and I don't see him. And I go, hey, Diana, how are you doing? And, and how's, how's Tim? And she goes, well, he's, he's right here. Why don't you ask him? My heart dropped. He's right here. I didn't notice my brother, who I was just praying over. Shame on me. Gets worse. So that was strike one. Um, then he comes back a couple months later, comes back, and we have our next elders meeting. We have our next elders meeting a couple months later, and we're done and whatnot, and we ask him, and I could tell something was off of him. Something wasn't sitting right. Tim's a very emotional guy, wears his heart on his sleeve, and it was clear something was bothering Pastor Tim. So somebody asked him, Tim, what's going on? What's, what's, he had this struggle of, do I say this? Do I not say it? Do I bring it up? Do I not bring it up? And he goes, you know, I've been off for two months and not one elder or pastor has called me or texted me. Felt about that big. Heart dropped again. Felt out. What am I doing here? Am I really an elder? This is not the heart that I'm supposed to have. And I didn't care about anybody else, right? Whatever struggles the other elders and pastors had, I was only thinking about how I reacted um, in this one. I felt really small. And I knew I sinned against my brother. I was not caring for him. I was not carrying his burden. I clearly wasn't showing him any sort of love. So um, God didn't let me forget that for a few weeks. So I go, all right, I've got to, I owe Tim an apology. I got to give him a call. We've got to get together. And I've got to apologize to my pastor. What he does with it, he does with it. I owe him an apology. So we got together at this place called Jack's that for some reason we all went to. I think because they serve breakfast for lunch and you can always have breakfast at any time of the day. So we go and have lunch and it was, I did not want to go have this lunch because I knew what was going to happen, right? I was going to ask for forgiveness. He's probably not going to forgive me. Uh, and I couldn't even argue with him. Uh, so I tell him, you know, where I sinned and how sorry I was and that it would never happen again. And not just for him, right? And for me as an elder as well, hey, it's not just the pastor, right? It's the sheep. It's the church. we got to be checking up on everybody. It was a big wake-up call for me. And he looked at me. I was a little bit teary-eyed. He's emotional. He got a little bit teary-eyed. 
And he goes, Amir, I forgive you. That was a big load. And we became and have remained the best of friends. The best of friends. We chat every two to three weeks. I'm trying to get him to move here. He's not going to move here. Trying to get him to move here. Certainly he's going to try and visit. Whether he has seasons that are up or down now. We remain close. I know what's going on with his family. He knows what's going on with my family. But him forgiving me released this stress that I was carrying, this burden that I was carrying. And it was my own fault. He didn't do anything wrong. But the fact that he forgave as Christ would forgive was huge. And how close we became afterwards and and that we still are. That's the blessing, right? People talk about blessings and automatically people will go to this financial place of are you making money or not. That's a blessing. It has nothing to do with that, right? Being forgiven by a fellow brother in the same way that Christ would forgive us, that's a blessing. That is a huge blessing. So um, point number two, I'd like you to write down, forgiveness should be a default reaction. If you are a Christian, if you claim Christ, whether you like it or not, we don't have a choice. We've got to forgive. But I promise you, you'll like it. Blessings come from it. And not just that the other side will see how God works in you. How effective is Christ's message of forgiveness if we can't forgive? It's not effective at all. If I tell my girls, hey, I don't want you to do X, Y, and Z. But guess what I'm doing? X, Y, and Z. What are they going to do? X, Y, and Z. It's just how it goes, right? And if, and if they don't do it then, they will certainly do it later on in life. And if I tell them, hey, this is wrong, they're just going to call me a hypocrite. As a Christian, we have to forgive. We should want to forgive because it's the whole reason why we're a Christian. How much more important is that for one another, right? That we know we're saved. We know we're going to be in eternity. We are going to go do ministry together. How can we carry burdens against one another, right? We should certainly ask for forgiveness. And once that's asked, we absolutely must grant that forgiveness. And hey, don't take my word for it. We're going to look at some verses. I was thinking about 1 Corinthians 15.3 or maybe 1 John 2.2, 2, but then I thought, well, let's look at kind of the picture of Christ, right? So Hebrews 10.10 10 writes, and by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Christ died once for all of us, right? But he didn't just die for us in this moment. He died for our past, our present, and our future sins. We need to forgive one another for our past, our present and future sins. This is the model that God gave us. This is the model that the world is watching us for. It's really interesting that we're all in Idaho, right? What are Mormons known for? Mormons are known for, and my non-believing family talks about two groups that totally have each other's backs at all times. Mormons are one of them, and Jews are another one. No matter what happens, they have each other's backs. They don't even know who Jesus really is. We do, but they are known having each other's backs. I don't know the details of you know, how they actually live, whatever, but the world has that view. We should absolutely have that view above anybody else because we know what forgiveness is. It's so important to God that if we turn to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew six twelve, it's part of the prayer. Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Well, it's in the Lord's Prayer. It must be true, right? Jesus said it. We know it's true. Just a couple of verses later, it gets a little bit more serious. Jesus says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father your trespasses. If we are seeking forgiveness, we must offer it. 
we know we need forgiveness, right? We're sitting in this room. There's, whether you're a believer or not, there's something about here that draws you here, the message here, and all we do is preach Christ. So there's a little bit of, there's something going on in everybody's head here that we either fully know or think that we got to be forgiven for, right? And if we're not forgiving anybody else, shame on us for asking for that same forgiveness. There is a uh, wonderful story. Well, let's do the New Testament first before we jump into the Old. Uh, same chapter, Matthew 18, 21, 22. And Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Peter had the best intention and a great heart. But he's that dude that, you know, he kind of thinks he knows the answer and he thinks he's going to do the right thing. And then Jesus has to smack him and bring him to reality. Of course, he let him start the church so he knows that his heart was right. But, man, reading about Peter pre and then uh, post Holy Spirit is two completely different dudes. But he asked that question and Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, does he mean 77 times or, you know, 77? I don't know. But it's unlikely any one of us will need to be forgiven 77 times by somebody. So I think what God is saying here is you forgive. Right? It doesn't matter how many times they ask. You forgive. That's what he does to us. More than likely, our prayers to the Lord every night probably include forgive me for what I've done wrong today. We probably do this every day of our lives. So if we're going to God with that, we should absolutely uh, offer that to our fellow brothers and sisters. A great story about this is in Exodus 32. Moses, Moses spent most time with God than anyone in Scripture. Moses was a fantastic man of God. He had his strong comings, he had his shortcomings, but ultimately he was a man of God. And he was, the setting here is he was receiving instruction from the Lord for 40 days, but the Israelites, as they tended to do, were growing impatient. Sounds like us. And they started getting an idolatry and all this stuff, and they even took it to Moses' brother, and, and so God got angry with them. And he writes in, in uh, Exodus 32, 9, 10, he writes, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation out of you. Moses has all the motivation in the world here to say, Sounds good. Let's go. I will be great among all the nations. God will, will make a nation out of me. This sounds fantastic. Anybody know Moses' reaction? Let's find out. Patrick's good. Remember, God's talking about Moses' brothers and sisters. Moses says, But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven in all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit the earth, uh, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of, bringing on his people. Moses interceded for his brothers and sisters. He loved all of the one another's that God is talking about here. He had every reason not to love. This wasn't the first time the Israelites turned their back. They were moaning about 
uh, where they were headed just after God parted the sea. Like, it couldn't be more clear. There is a God. He's got your back. They were moaning and moaning and moaning. And, and I imagine if Moses was anything like us, probably a little bit irritated. Like, are we really in the same song and dance again? Come on, boss. Let's, let's, we know how the story's going to end. Let's go. But instead, he interceded uh, for, his, for his brothers and sisters, and God blessed them. And ultimately, Moses was thinking about how, how would God handle this situation? There was no way that was of Moses' own spirit. Right? Moses didn't even want to talk to Pharaoh. God had to convince him to go talk to Pharaoh. In this case, he interceded for his brothers and sisters, and look what happened um, from there. Now, there's another side to that, right? There's another side to um, not forgiving, and it leads to bitterness, and this is a problem, right? Humans have this reaction. The world will tell you, you know, forgive only if they forgive you, or things are conditional, but that only hurts you, right? It doesn't benefit you or the other person to hold anything against one another. Uh, This is especially true if you're married and you're a dude, You will be asking for forgiveness from your wife often. It's a part of life. It happens. It's okay. We're all in the same boat. Uh, Marry someone like I have, like Leah, who's quick to forgive. (laughs) Because she's had to do it so many times. So um, we all know the story of David, right? We get the story of David. uh, But David had that one major sin, right? He went after um, Bathsheba when he shouldn't have. Now, the other part of that is Bathsheba had a grandfather. And his name... Is such an easy name to pronounce. Ahithabel. Ahithabel. Exactly. Right. Ahithabel. It's Bathsheba's grandfather. Now, Bathsheba's grandfather never let go. God forgave David. David mourned. Right? David went to the Lord. He repented. He mourned. And he got his consequences, by the way. Just because you ask for forgiveness doesn't mean there's no consequences. Right? The forgiveness is there, but whatever we do that's wrong, it leads to something. Right? We have to deal with it. There's a lot of prisoners that are that are believers in Jesus Christ, but they're still suffering the consequences of what they did. Now, what happened here is David went to the Lord with a pure heart and asked for real forgiveness, and he got it. He received it from the Lord. But Ahithamel did not. He held on to that bitterness. He tried to turn, turn David's son against him at the end of it, at the end of all of that, right? He couldn't relent. He couldn't stop going after David. He held on to that bitterness. He ended up hanging himself. It doesn't end well for you if you hold on to bitterness. You may not end up hanging yourself, right? Hopefully not. Um, but there's other reactions that we have uh, that aren't loving, that aren't really normal or natural human reactions, right? When our body is in a state of stress, it's not how it was designed. This is why people will get wrinkly or their hair will fall out or they, they, they can't stay calm. They have panic attacks. We're not meant to carry on and have this bitterness, right? That the heart, the forgiving heart is what God desires. Then it becomes clear, right? How God wants us to view each other. How forgiveness is a huge part of that. There's another part of love that is not taught in today's world, right? Today, you do you, whatever makes you happy, all that nonsense. We want to help each other grow, right? That's love from God's side. So um, Proverbs 27, 17 reads, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. For point number three, I want you to write down, see sharpening and correction as love. In fact, we can go back to our first verse, right? We could go back to Timothy, that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 
All of those things are sharpening one another, right? And what does it lead to? That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. If you are not being sharpened, if you don't have somebody that loves you, that is telling you when you are wrong, if you don't have somebody that's constantly pushing you to do things a little bit better or saying, hey, this what you're doing here is not right in the eyes of the Lord. What you're doing here is great. Let's work on that a little bit more. Then can they really love you? Right? God tells us that those good teachings, the, the reproof, the correction, it completes us. It equips us for the work of the Lord. I don't know any believer, any veteran believer who's been through, who's been after God's own heart, that doesn't have stories of having to forgive someone or being sharpened by someone, being told what they're doing is wrong. And in fact, when we don't do that is when you see things get really wrong. Today, we're trying to get rid of police. How ridiculous is that? People that are laying their lives on the line and trying to keep law and order, and we want to get rid of it. It's a human reaction for a sinful heart. It's what we do. But that's clearly not how God wanted things. Lawlessness is not a part of God's design. It's just not how it works. So when we're... You guys ever watch the show, Forge and Fire? Anybody seen that? All the dudes are going to raise their hands, of course. I love it. So Forge and Fire is a great show. Uh, they take a bunch of bladesmiths and they put them in a room. They give them a forge and say, all right, you're going to make this kind of blade. You've got four hours, go. So they get to work. They take their hammer, they start pounding off. First, they got to they gotta heat up the blade, right? It's just a raw piece of metal. They'll say, hey, there, there's, there's a bunch of metal in this pile. Go get it. Find what you want to find and make a blade. So they'll go through, you know, metal handles, you know, whatever. They'll come out, put it in the forge. They'll forge just a really raw blade, and, and the best one moves on. Well, they keep doing that. That, that first round takes about four hours. The next round, if you move on, I think it's another three or four hours. After that, you're down to the final two. The final two, they give you five days. Five days to go forge a specific blade that they want you to forge. Now, these people get to go back to their homes, work in their home forge, and they only get it's eight or ten or whatever amount of time it is during the day. But they get to go do that. Now, they're working day and night to get this blade, just one, one knife, one sword, one whatever they're having them make, just one. They're working all day, every day to get this done. And every episode you see them, they're just finishing on time. I, I have not seen an episode where any one of these blacksmiths are going, all right, I got a whole day to just kind of chill. I might make another one. You know, I don't know. That doesn't exist. These guys are working day to day. And by the end of it, they go and they test and everything. Well, the point here is iron sharpening iron is not a one-time thing. It's not a quick thing. It doesn't happen overnight, right? Just the thought of, of that show is actually really interesting because if you take out um, the, the hydraulic press that they have, which is a huge part of the show, right? This massive machine is, is basically a hammer. These guys had to do that by hand. That's not easy to bang on a blade with your hand for four hours straight. That is real work that we really don't have to experience today. Sharpening takes time, right? Working with each other takes time. And so this is why there's that concept of family, right? Because families take time and they're forever. So as we're working with one another, as we're sharpening one another, um, I wanna encourage you guys that if you, know, you see a brother or sister struggle and they're not listening and they're not listening, it's okay, don't give up on them. God doesn't give up on them. We shouldn't give up on them either. Um, so there's a couple of verses here that um, 
I think we have enough time to get to. But one aspect of sharpening implies that we're not lazy. Now, I know video games are top of pretty much every dude's mind. I get it. Even the girls run above this now. I've seen it, which is really weird because growing up, the girls never played video games. But now with cell phones, everybody's on some kind of a game all the time. And it's, so there's this commercial that I saw. It's one of the best commercials I've seen. It's this, it's this fam, I don't know if you guys seen it, it's a Toyota commercial. Right, so you got uh, the mom and, uh, look like mom, an older mom and dad, and then a kid coming out of college, right? So parents are hanging out with their friends, and, and they're out in the woods somewhere doing whatever, and then it zooms to the, to the kid, and she's just on her computer. She goes, oh, my parents are so boring. She's on her computer, and then it goes back to the parents. They're out on a sailboat or something, hanging out with friends. Like, oh, I don't even know why they want to hang out with other people. It goes back to their friends, and they're getting ready to camp out for the night in this beautiful place. And then it goes back to the girl. She's on Facebook. Oh, this is busy. I go, man, that is today, isn't it? Like, everybody is just on a device all day long, and that's what they think is fun. How is every 16-year-old here not driving? I couldn't wait to turn 16 and drive and get out of the house. But for some reason, it's weird. It has this effect. But what it does is it makes us lazy. God speaks against that. Right? We can't sharpen if we're lazy. So if we read Romans 12, 11, Paul writes, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Matthew 25, 26 reads, But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. That was the parable of the talents. We are not meant to be lazy and we are not meant to live alone, right? If we're not meant to live alone, there's action behind that. You know, we actually have to find, uh, we have to go out and make friends. Right? Idaho is a great place. I love living here. I'm never going back to California, God willing, or anywhere else. I could totally die in my house in Idaho and be totally happy the rest of my life. If God calls me somewhere else, I will accept it. But hopefully that is not the case. However... You could come here and be just as miserable there, just have a bigger house and a smaller mortgage, right? You have to work to make friends. One of the first things that we did, we said, hey, we want to come here and we want this place to be about God, right? It can't be just about a house. It can't be about walls. We've seen family do that, and we've seen the effects of that. So whatever house God blesses us with, there'll be a house of ministry as God says it should be. But we want to get to know all of our neighbors. So the first day, first day, we get there, and a neighbor's directly across the street. Go knock on the door. Well, the guy comes out and goes, hey, I'm Bob. I go, hey, Bob, my name's Amir. We just moved in right across the street. He's like, oh, great, my son lives here. Let me go grab him. He's like, Colt's over here. He's like, Colt, go grab your father. Colt goes to the back, comes back out. He goes, my dad said no. <laughs> what? He's like, no, Colt, I'm serious. Go get him. He comes back. No, he really said no. <laughs> so we ended up meeting our neighbor, Josh and Jen. And we've become best of friends now, but it's a total Josh thing to say. Uh, then we met, you know, some of the folks on the side, and then, um, uh, the ones directly across from us. And it was, we met him in such an awkward time because the wife had just broken her back and the husband was on a trip. And it was the weirdest time because I thought, should we not be? But again, we've all become really good friends. But I told you, we are not going to come here and not be a part of our neighborhood. We're not going to be lazy. We're not just going to stay in our house and not see anybody. That is Bay Area life. We are leaving Bay Area life. We want to do God's ministry here. And that involves meeting as many people as we can. And God will do what he wants to do with it. So we're not meant to live alone, right? We're not meant to be lazy. Um, but in the case that there is correction, right? God gives us, um, and I want you guys to read this on your own time and we could maybe discuss it next week in small group time. But take a look at 
uh, Matthew 18 and what God talks about if correction needs to be done, right? We're not, even within the confines of the church, as leaders of the church, we're not supposed to just let you make mistakes. That's not God's design. If you got a parent that's just letting you make mistakes, at some point you're really going to question, does my mom or dad really love me? They're let me do whatever I want, go wherever I want, eat whatever I want. You will literally ask that question. I've had a family member tell Lee and I before, ah, I know my mom doesn't really love me, she lets me do whatever I want. God damn, I don't want to be that parent. I want my kids to know that I love them. Now we can't just beat our kids over the head all the time, right? There's got to be love there. And there's a certain way to do that. But there's correction in God's design. There's, we are instructed as a church to correct one another. So when we get into those situations, remember the Christian does not correct the other Christian to keep them down, right? We, we want to correct each other towards sanctification. We want to correct you. Um, I absolutely love serving with Keegan. I love it. He's a great dude. He's got a great wife. He's got an awesome little boy. I am working to sharpen Keegan to realize that Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time and not LeBron James, right? Keegan is not walking the straight and narrow here. And that's okay. I will love him through it. I will absolutely love him through it. But we can't kick him out of church for that one. <laughs> but ultimately, we're here to sharpen one another, right? We're here to love one another. We're here to forgive one another. All of this will let the world know that we are God's disciples. That's what he says to us in his word, right? That by our love and how we love one another, the world will know that we're his disciples. There's no way to do that without loving one another. If we can't love one another, if we can't forgive one another, if we can't help each other grow, we are not being children of God. So, Plants and Pillars, I want to encourage you guys with that. We're going to get into... Um, Point number three. We're going to get into point. Did I tell you point number three? Yeah. Good. Good. I missed one of them. I didn't want to. I didn't want to miss the third. And we're going to get into some small group time, and I want you guys to really talk about and be open about. Are these things struggles for you? Because they're struggles for most people, and that's okay. But we're here to love you guys through it. We're here to coach you guys through it. We're here to pray with you guys through it and tell you how God wants you to handle these things. So allow me to pray for us real quick, and then we'll we'll jump into small group time.